0: The Raw Rugby Podcast. Hello and welcome to The Raw Rugby Podcast. I'm Brett McKay. International rugby has arrived properly for 2022 and your place for the biggest and best test rugby discussion is the raw.com.au Australia's biggest sporting debate. A massive reaction uh, to last week's chat with Phil Kearns, and thanks to everyone who got in touch uh, through the various means, and you can do the same under the new episode page each week on The Raw. You can hit us up on the socials, or please leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Joining me this and every week, still stewing from not being able to get Spain's Rugby World Cup eligibility appeal over the line is my dejected, but big-hearted co-host Harry Jones. Hello, mate. How are you?
1: Jeez, what a wonderful intro. Uh, first, <laughs> how's it, Brett? Uh, I'm well, I'm yeah. good. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about being number one in Norway again. I was missing that status.
0: Well, funny you should mention this. I absolutely was not lying about the massive reaction to the Phil Kearns chat last week. Uh, record download and listen listen numbers, 400-plus comments and more than 18,000 page reads On the podcast page on The Raw, we jumped back into the top 10 rugby pods in Australia, the US, and Hong Kong. We debuted at number three in Germany, and of course, we are at number one in Norway yet again. Big spikes in Britain, France, Ireland, Japan, New Zealand, the UAE, and it looks like we've earned another couple of five-star reviews, I think. I can't really tell. So again, thanks to one and all who listened, who listened. Left us a review, left us a rating. It's good to know we're, we're hitting the right marks. It was really cool. It was a really good chat last week with Phil Kearns.
1: So yeah, we're gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna reach out to my German connections. You know, I did some research on my Norwegians. I'm gonna do some mm. research, and next week I'll explain the German miracle. Hey, uh, I, I, wanted I, look- talk, I wanted to talk to you about your picture on on socials. It was amazing. I've, ever, right, I've yeah? actually yeah I've consulted. So everyone, go on Brit's uh, socials and look at this picture he posted about sun and barbecue and sizzling something or other and beers and cans but actually the picture uh is sneakily good it's it really could be a photograph uh award-winning kind of top 10 thing of grassroots rugby there's a guy on the sidelines he's got ball kids vest on reflective vest you got someone sitting on a chair I'm not sure what he's doing you got a kick chase you got trees framing it. It's actually a beautiful scene. Dappled sun across the the, the field. It's exactly why we all played rugby. Yeah. Yep. And there's a really chunky kid making a tackle on a fullback. I don't even know how he got to that position. And then most of the people are just kind of jogging around looking. So I'm right. this picture. What was happening? So, Who's playing?
0: Well. Okay, so, so uh, there's a team in red and black that's the Gungalan Eagles against the team in sky, blue, and green that's the Uni North Owls um, in two club sides in Canberra. I had, to, we had We had a rugby free weekend, so I went and got the, got the rugby fix. And I haven't been to a club game in about three years uh, with my current work schedule, so it was, it was fantastic. So you reckon you could tell me, judging by that kick chase, who was winning in that and who won this game?
1: Yes. I am the Sam Larner of looking at a photograph and knowing who wins. On one kick chase, I'm infallible. Who won this game? I can look at this and I can know that the Sky Blue blue won by 70 points.
0: You're quite correct. Yes, 71-14, in fact. First of
1: all, they're letting the fullback die. Okay, all the guys in red are just standing there going, that's amusing. Because there's five guys around the fullback and no one is even remotely coming to clean. Yeah. Sam Loner, the cleaner expert, is going to talk to us about this later, but there's no one coming to clean the 15, and he's mm. just about to get smashed by a big, big boy number 14.
0: Mm. Yeah. Now that's yeah. not far off the mark. Now, the worrying thing about this is that I took I posted that photo at 319 PM on Saturday afternoon. The game kicked off at 305. <laughs> <laughs> it was over It was over. <laughs> So the go, it was actually still quite close at that point, I must say But anyway, um, you have mentioned him now once or twice uh, So let's get on to this week's guest And we are off to the motherland. The Raw Rugby Podcast The Pod's Northern England studios have been hurriedly brought online this week And it's great to welcome from them rugby analyst podcaster writer for rugby world magazine and online sam lana hello mate welcome um, to the podcast
2: hello mate how are you thank you very much for having me
0: yeah very very welcome thanks for for saying yes from from a few weeks ago i have to I was doing a bit of research into this Sam Lana bloke that we've had on the pod and I stumbled across a, a rugby world uh, bio and I laughed out loud th- at the line. He began writing a barely read cycling blog in 2012.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's still out there. Um, it's uh, essentially, I, so I, I had this blog and I thought I want you know, I want to write about stuff. So i write about, about cycling, which was, which along with the is kind of my, my twin sporting passion. Um, you no know, when they it as you expect. Uh, and then one article got, um, it got a thousand views on this one article. And so I went to teams and say, I get 30,000 views on my website each month. <laughs> um, <laughs> can I start interviewing your riders? And they went, Yeah, bloody hell, yeah, of course. That's a, that's a lot of views for the uh, for the blog. Of course, you can. Uh, unbeknownst to them, obviously, it was 1,000 getting a sea of. You know, zeros (laughs) or or twos, but but that's how I kind of got going on that. And then, yeah, my initial uh, idea was to be a a cycling journalist, um, just because you know you get to go to slightly more beautiful places, perhaps than, uh, you know, Twickenham and and Cardiff. Not that they're not beautiful; (laughs) beautiful in their own way, but um, Mm. but, you know, maybe not quite the same as the French Alps or the uh, or the Sierra Mm -hmm. Nevada in Spain.
0: Yeah, in, indeed, indeed. So how, what's, the, you, you're probably not quite as well known in, uh, in in Australian rugby circles. What's the Sam Lana story? How did we, how did we, how did we come across you?
2: Uh, well, um, so I'm a, I'm an analyst um, and essentially what I do is I use data and, and video as well to kind of um, hopefully explain the game of rugby. So mm. um, I'm, a, I'm a big fanging uh I've tried to get more people involved and watching watching the And I'm not sure if this is the same in Australia, certainly the case in the UK. Um on international rugby, I think uh for, for league games it's a little bit better, but for international rugby, um the puncture is pitch at a very low level. Um yeah. which I think the idea of this is that it brings you into the game. Um I'm not convinced that actually happens. I think it kind of leaves people, you know, wanting a lot more. Um and so I just tried tried to fill that that gap really, and um, well I, I I played rugby from a very young age, and then I was injured, and when I was injured, I, I thought I wasn't going to be able to play again, so I was looking at coaching opportunities and also analysis opportunities. So probably like a lot of people, incredibly cliched, I read uh the book Moneyball, maybe in about twenty twelve, and thought. Lugby should do some of that. Unbeknownst to me, obviously <laughs> kind of although he was doing a little bit of that. Um, but I, I then kind of started to look into it a bit more than look at the data than in the in the belief that if I found the right data I could just prove something about Lugby. Mm-hmm. Obviously that's not true. The the more you realise you more you look at the data, the more you realise it, it it tells you uh if it tells you something, um, it's very infrequently. You know, there's a lot of kind of noise and there's a lot of um, context that you need to put in there, um, but that was kind of how I started, and, and so that's really what I've been doing. I went to the World Cup in twenty nineteen with with the um, the rugby World Cup website and did yeah, kind of fifty or sixty articles on there, just explaining the game of rugby and doing analysis on particular games. And they went very well, and that kind of convinced me that that there was an appetite for it out there, Lily.
0: Really. Yeah, on your on your uh, on your Twitter page, and and you can get. You can find Sam on Twitter at Sam L stands up. Uh, but there's a great little pin thread that's that's been there on your page. And, and I think it's I think this is actually what of yours I first saw. And it's a little, it's a little thing that you've just called whiteboard rugby. And it's just a little YouTube series explaining basically what happens in the game. Have I got that right? It was it's a it was yeah. a great little explanatory type thing, um, but it was really, really well done.
2: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so, um, I, I mean, in, in my family, my my dad's played rugby for 30 years, watched the game for pushing 60 years. Uh, my mum's never played, but has watched the game for mm. the best part of 40 years. Um, but what I realised is that whereas in, in, in football and soccer, where we can talk about 4-4-2s and pretty much everyone would have some idea of what that meant, mm. in rugby, there's things like um, drift defence, where maybe maybe 10% of the people who, yeah. who watch the game know what that is. Um, and certainly when I, when I was coaching, when I was coaching uh, kids, you would use certain words like, you know, um, drift off your man or fix a man or whatever. And you think, oh, they don't know what I'm talking about because it just doesn't yeah. get passed down through kind of popular culture where there's, they weren't football players, but if I told them to, um, you know, show them man the other foot or, you know, show him on his left foot, they'd know what that meant. Um, and so what whiteboard rugby was, was it was meant to be just, I think it was a minute and 20. I'm oh going to say two minutes and 20 was the max. Cause that's the max that can go on, on Twitter. Yeah. Um, and it was just me with a whiteboard explaining a particular, uh, mm-hmm. concept. Yeah. So you can find them on Instagram as well. If you just go on whiteboard rugby on, on Instagram, they're all there. Um, if you look back through Twitter, if you Google whiteboard rugby, there's a bunch of them on there as well. Um, I plan on doing more. They're, they're, they're a good fun thing to do. It's always, um, it's one of those things you start up with and then loads of other different offers and different things come through and it, yeah. it's sad that it's taken a little bit of a backburn at the moment, but it'll it'll definitely be back, especially as we as we kind of creep up on the World Cup as yeah.
0: well. Yeah. Question question without notice, how much drawing practice did you actually put into the whiteboard before you <laughs> thought, no, I could make that public?
2: Yeah, no, I mean I, I it's it's not good. It's it, I, I, will, I will I'll be completely honest. When I first uh, the, my first idea was me sticking in front of a whiteboard you know drawing something yeah and i did a few of them and thought you can't like the light's wrong and you can't see anything i thought i'll just i'll do it over the head just my hands like those like you know that old apple advert where it's all yeah. hands coming in from either side and twisting phones and all that kind of stuff so I thought, i'll do that and then almost immediately i thought i mean i can't draw anything beyond a stick person <laughs> um, why the big focus was on circles and x's you know, X's and O's as it is in, in, in American sport and just just making it as simple as possible. And, and then I kind of hid that behind the, the idea that oh it was because I was making the game simple rather than just because I can't I can't draw anything yeah, more complex. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, it's it sounds like it sounds like one of those great conversations about a great idea. Yeah, you know, oh, but it's a great idea, let's let's do this thing about it. We'll call it whiteboard rugby, which just explain things and all that. And someone at some point will go. Yeah, but you can't draw. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> like... yeah.
2: yeah, you can't draw. You've got no ability to edit anything. Uh, you you kind of stumble over your words, and, um, and I can't write either. I'm not very good at uh, yeah. My handwriting not not great. So, but all those things combined, I think it, it gives it a kind of a slightly homemade um, feel. Oh, it's fantastic. It, now, yeah. I
0: think it's I think it's I think it's better because of it. Uh, but but it it's fascinated better. me because I know that. I know that if I was in exactly the same position. Um, and I mean I mean, I certainly everyone adjusts things when they're when they're writing. you be and before you there's never a more nervous moment, particularly as a, as a young writer or as a writer starting out. The moment just before you hit send. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. It all gets very real after that. Uh, we're gonna get onto the um onto the the onto the tests this weekend uh in a moment, but we wanted to get into um you know what you get into, what you, um, why and how you get into so many different aspects of the game. But even before we do that, well, we had a rugby-free weekend here in Australia. Harry, you had a bit of a rugby-free weekend in the States there as well. So what stood out for us on this rugby-free weekend? Sam, kick us off. What did you what did you see and what did you enjoy this weekend? Uh,
2: so for me this weekend... Um... I, that's a very good question actually, what did I do? Yeah, thinking... you, you yeah. took in
0: the top 14 final, didn't you?
2: I did, yeah, I, yeah. I, so I, I watched that after the event, um, but uh, yeah, that was, a, that was a great final, it was, um, yeah, so we had that, we had Major League as well in, uh, in New York, um, bit of a bit of a Seawolves fan myself, so that was a, kind of a, a sad thing to see, but uh, a good, good final. Um, and yeah, the top fourteen final, which was great. That was, uh, I mean, it was great for for the half. It was exciting to yeah. watch. It's one of those games where you know what the result is after after the half, but um, it's fun to watch it happen, and then you get you know, maybe, <laughs> you maybe won- sli- slightly bored after <laughs> the end. You wonder
0: how they'll get there, Harry. What uh, what stood out for you on the on the weekend?
1: No, I was just all looking forward to Test Footy. Um yeah. I mean, I, I had a you know a glance at the. MLR final, too many All Blacks in New York, um, and then <laughs> they, I, I they like wear a see, lot. I like to see my boy, you know, Paulie and and uh, win from Montpellier, but you know, it still to me was was overshadowed by the selection, who's in, who's out. I think mm. all the all the Southern Hemisphere teams have very big dilemmas, um, whereas the Northern teams are more about, you know, they're sick of their coach or they're, you know, bitching about someone not being, or whatever. it's all very reminiscent of every year we go through the same ritual. Yeah, yeah. And ev- everyone pretends to know more uh, GPS, you know, data than the coaches. And it's kind of silly, but it's fun. And so I like that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I was fe- feeding off all the, the debates about, the proper loose forward trio for the All Blacks, you know, it's, it's all great fun.
0: Yeah, and well, and it, and it sort of gets ready. It get it's it it can be worse in Super Rugby sometimes because if if you if your team gets out early, then you get an extra week, an extra two weeks before the end of the <laughs> season, and then you've got two weeks before the before the internationals as well. So right. yeah, it can it can be rough. Um, you've mentioned you've mentioned my outing at club, club rugby in um, in in Canberra on the weekend. It was just it was just really good. Just to get out and watch a club game, just run into people that you haven't seen for a while, have a couple of cans, have a coffee in between because it was freaking cold in the end. <laughs> My idea of getting some sunshine didn't last very long, but you know it's just good to get to get back again. So I'm very glad I did it. May well look to try and do that again um, over the next few weeks. Um, Sam, I mentioned your analysis and your ability to write on all sorts of aspects of the game. So many competitions, you've just mentioned the top 14 and, and major league rugby there. What draws you onto a particular subject? And I mean, I look at, I look at your, your, just your rugby world profile page, and I can see things about how to tackle low, how to lift in line outs, um, you know, how to do quick taps. It's there's, there's all sorts of things here. And again, you're looking at, uh, but the premiership, you're looking at major league rugby, you're looking at women, six nations, um, how much rugby do you watch in a weekend?
2: Well, it, it, it tends to be quite a lot. So usually I'll watch... Um, in the UK, we'll, we'll typically get a Friday Night Premiership game, so I'll watch watch one of them. Um, then usually a, a Saturday, which I normally can't do during rugby season, um, but I'll catch up with that in some way. Um, and then some Sunday games, normally maybe a, a URC game on a Sunday. Um, and then... Throughout the week, I'll catch up with some other bits and pieces. So it might not be watching full matches. There's there's kind of luckily I've got access to ways of watching like um, ball in playtime without mm. seeing all the other stuff. So you can normally knock off two matches in the time it takes to watch one match doing yeah. that. Um, or maybe I'll have heard of particular players done really well. So I'll watch just that player's um, actions on the weekend. Um, so stuff like that, Lily. Really. So it, I guess combined, it'd probably be. It'd be less than ten matches a, a, a week, but um, yeah, right. But you know, some of them would be would be shortened or, or just just kind of highlights or, or, or clips of a particular player.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah, right. You you wrote a, a great series of, and I've seen the the Twitter threads, but I'm sure you've you've gone in deeper. I know Harry's really interested in this. Your, your analysis of tackle heights. Yes. What, yeah. what What piqued your interest there, Harry, particularly?
1: Oh, because I think the. The current conventional wisdom is just to, to repeat each other and say, um, it's out of control, rugby's mm. gone soft, uh, what are all these cards, uh, let the boys play, and actually not actually looking at the truth of the matter is what as what is the trend? And Sam did excellent work in actually talking about the penalties for high tackles from which all such other controversies flow, right? It's the original sin. And so he was coming at it that way and looking at Things that are actually you know, we have terrible sampling in in rugby, but this is one thing you can s- sample really well is tackles. I mean, they yeah. are they're a given in our game. So um, the fact that they're high, low, medium penalties, uh, Sam, I think you pointed out that there's been quite a dive, a decrease, where others might have thought there was an increase.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So um, essentially, what we're seeing is that there's been. As you mentioned, that there has been a decrease. This was just looking at the premierships. So I'm, I'm going to do the same thing for a couple of other uh, leagues as well. Uh, there's some other bits in there as well, which I'll, I'll get on to. But essentially, the numbers start off relatively low. So in terms of the, the number of uh, tackles that have a penalty, um, there, there's only, even at the, the most, so that the highest week, um, that number was only 2.3%. So, you know, you imagine there's 100 tackles per, per side, just over two of them uh, would be would be penalized. um so in a game, you might have five, uh, I guess, which you know is is still quite a quite a high number, but it it's it's a low percentage. people might maybe expect that percentage to be a bit higher um but then that dropped throughout the year, so um it was inconsistent. You obviously don't expect just a a, a gradual a, a consistent drop, but it went from the average of about one point seven percent to one point two percent, so that's about a third fewer uh, penalties um, or tackles penalised than, than there was before. So people have said, well, isn't that just to do with referees? Aren't referees just kind of taking an eye off the ball as, a, as the season mm. progresses? And possibly that that is definitely a possibility. The thing that makes me think it's probably not that is that if we were seeing like a, an, an organised referee kind of let's all turn a blind eye to this, um, we would see a much bigger drop because what we yes. actually see is... Is very is kind of up and down, up and down, but gradually going downwards. Um, so it's a bit like you know, if you were if, if you were kind of um, a business that was losing money, you might expect that certain, you know sales were coming, it would spike a little bit, but yeah. over time you, you, you know you're losing money. Um, and so that's what we're seeing here. There's a very gradual trend where, and what that means is that each week there's about ten fewer penalized tackles now than there was at the start of the season. So. As I say, if that was a Lefley's making organised decision not to penalise those, we would expect yeah. to see that to be significantly yeah. more.
0: It's it's yeah. it's faci- it's fascinating because the it, it the conversations for years have been and and we've all spoken about it. I'm sure we've probably all written about it. I know I definitely have. That the concern is that players aren't getting the message, and and we're almost always basing that on the number of yellow cards red cards and suspensions for foul play now just using the example of super rugby there were there have been or there were far more yellow cards and definitely red cards and then suspensions in 2022 for foul play and all of them were high tackles than there were last year so it's a reasonably strong conclusion to make but for you to say that over time we're actually seeing a downward trend that fascinates me because it, what that almost sounds like is that there's fewer tackles that need to penalise, which means the ones that are stand out more, in fact.
1: Yeah. yeah bro, guys, bald guys with incredibly good beards are... <laughs> <laughs> that was, I
0: don't, that was I don't know. I don't know.
1: With Welsh, with with Welsh, with Welsh <laughs> origins. <Yeah. laughs>
2: <laughs> we're more than the same
1: it it, Sam, it Sam, does so it does me, me, yeah Sam, some of this comes from what you discussed earlier which is we're not a numbers sport we are, our numbers are actually yeah. quite shitty and yeah. rugby is hard to pin to numbers i mean it's a bit like chess the incisiveness beats volume of you know pieces taken and one piece is not the same as another and there are positions on the board in chess that you don't want to be even if it looks like it's going well, your opponent's saying three moves from now, you're done. And you know, this has to do with cleaning in rugby or having sufficient numbers side to side. So you might look like, you know, I've just pieced together seven, eight phases. Really, the alarm bells are going off because you're you're so vulnerable to a counter. So I wonder about your attraction to numbers and your, it seems to me you try to find different things to talk about like Chris talking yeah. about you. you're not just doing the same old yeah oh, the possession stats uh last week were really good i mean rugby has doctrines which are hard to shift because coaches are already tied to them um do you find that people are interested in in, in how you come at it from a different angle
2: yeah i, I hope so I, I think there's um it, it's quite an interesting thing when you look at stats in rugby because people have this weird crossover where they where they believe that they tell you nothing where where there's also they tell you so much that they're ruining the game and they're making people robotic um, mm. whereas as with everything the the answer is actually somewhere between those two nuanced yeah, right. yeah unnuanced yeah. un- un- positions so for example um, you, you mentioned possession there so you could say uh, certainly would you be in the case probably when i started watching them being a kind of an organized way i guess in, in the in the early 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s, where if your team had made more tackles than the opposition in the first half, you were likely going to lose because right. fitness wasn't very good and mm. so that, that's a good proxy for possession. So if you had less possession, you are probably going to lose a match. Whereas now, if you look at the premiership um, final, which was between Sarasens and Leicester, two teams who really don't want the ball and to and kick you know, more than pretty much any other team uh, in the premiership. But what what happens there is that people see that and they go, oh, okay, the way to play is to, is to do it in in this way where there's actually the two teams who didn't get to the final um, Queens and Northampton playing completely opposite ways. So they play with lots of bowling and they attack from kind of anywhere. They <laughs> don't kick that much. And so, you yeah, know, we're always on that knife edge of, because ultimately a lot of, a lot of the beers luck. so, <laughs> Whenever the game is, you know, within, within a try's difference of being won, this is actually, you know, we'll obviously come on to England in, in a bit, but one of the things I always like to do is is just add uh, five points to one team or another. So just just kind of go, well, anything can happen. You know, the ball could bounce and they could have scored a try. Yeah.
1: And,
2: you know, getting a try is, is not a kind of an inconceivable thing. And you can see then how many games a team would have won, or lost high. They got five points. I Or the opposition got five. Yeah. Points and obviously it's, it's not scientific and it's not like an ideal way of, of, of measuring success. But if you're the team who constantly is finishing within that kind of five point buffer, or even if you want to reduce it within that three point buffer, then it suggests that you're kind of only luck away from, um, yeah. f- from winging more. Whereas if you're, if you're the team, so if you look at Newcastle, for example, um, back in 2016, 17, possibly, someone can correct me on that, 17, actually, around then, they got into the playoffs um, and then the next year they got they got delegated. Um, and when they got into the playoffs, if you look at their stats, their um, tries conceded, tries four, they didn't look like a team who should have got into the playoffs. And if you actually dig into it, they were losing games massively and winning games by a really fine margin. And that's yeah, obviously not right. sustainable. And so yeah. ultimately... If you were someone who, after that wing, oh, well, I'm gonna bet on them to wing wing again, you'd have actually have taken a massive leap of logic yeah, to suggest yeah. that yeah, yeah they can turn that turn that load.
1: Yeah, there's also the problem so, of, of different phases of a season, right? So you have stats that work like that's why you have Harlequins or or Leinster doing a certain way, and they're running to knockout footy, and it's just different. I mean, yeah, every space is a little bit different. The Blues found that to their chagrin against yeah. the Crusaders. And you had, well, well, and, and the, 34
0: cru- times the Crusaders, and the Blues... right? The, the, the Crusaders in the quarterfinal and the semifinal made a million tackles for, for each game. And then come the final, it completely flipped. And, and the yeah. Blues, who'd been playing with really high possession stats and, right. and just running, running in tries for fun, suddenly realized that they hadn't had the ball for half an hour and they didn't know what to do. So, uh, so yes. that's, that, yeah. adds,
1: that adds to the complexity of seasoning these yes. stats or these numbers. And I, and I know that you always point that out. In fact, um, I mean, you, you have to do a little bit of divining. Almost, you almost need a rugby theologian to help you with stats. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, you can yeah. think you know what you're looking at when you're looking at an ancient Greek Orthodox ritual, but you have to have someone tell you what the icons are. And yeah. so, um, you know, like tennis players who can feel stats in a match, very rare. And if they can, they're like the Federers because they can adjust Mm. during the match. They can say, every point that's less than three uh, three shots, I'm winning, so I'm just going to go for every winner. Uh, Golfers who can fix something during the round are no different from us. They make the same mistakes, but they can fix it, right? Mm. So do you find that they're trying to find players who can do that? Rugby is a game where you still decide it on the field. It's not coaches making a... NFL call every single play do you do you try to help players feel the rhythm and the numbers of a game
2: yeah so uh one of the best things you can do with a player is to show them either something they did well or something they did poorly and tell ask them well why did you do that and you then realize it from a completely different perspective because they're saying oh I, I I missed that tackle because my inside man stepped in um, and I told him to stay out, and that's why I missed that tackle. So, it, it, for example, you could do that with a player, because I, I work with players doing analysis for them, and yeah, if they're looking for a bigger contract, or if they're moving to a different club, mm. and they just want to know what to expect. And so you might, like I had a conversation with a, a player last week where I said, your weakness is your your defensive abilities, and um, your missed tackle percentage, which isn't perfect, but it's also is not as imperfect as people think it might be, um, mm is really low and so if if I'm looking for in his case a center um, and you fit all my bills but you're going well, actually you know I want I want over 75 percent but you're under 75 percent then I, I just basically can strike a aim, shut you know strike a line for you and that's essentially what you're doing really with recruitment is you're you know you've got a thousand two thousand players at your disposal depending on what you what you're looking for so you can't go through every single one of them and kind of justify if their stats correctly identify who they are as a player but when you're one-on-one with a player you can say to them you're you know you're the wherever you are 60 percent or 65 tackle success player why is that and then you can look into it and then you can you know and somewhere you you often meet in the middle where i come in with you're not a great defender he comes in with my defensive system puts me at in a difficult yeah. position and we meet somewhere in the middle which is okay that's true but here's some techniques you could use to um improve that or um you know in in his case he was a defensive leader than the team and so you kind of say okay well you've you've got to there's certain things here where you're putting this isolated situation because your forwards as they came down that look they looked at the look rather than coming out to support you Um, and so how do you fix that like how do you what do you say during training to get them to fix that and so um that, and that's the thing with with context really is that you need to add that context into the into the stats because uh, without them they, they are kind of meaningless. Um, because you know, if I just say to you, so and so gained five hundred meters this season, obviously you guys know the sport, so you know if that's good or bad or whatever. But if I don't, if I tell you he did that in one game, then you think yeah, he's yeah. if he played. If I'm combining preseason games and league games, and plus you play international games, actually that's over 30 games, then you might go, okay, well, if he's a forward, then that's decent. If he's a winger, then that's really bad. And so that context is vital um, to to add in there.
1: Yeah, it's so positional. I mean, you know, fullback meters gained are almost meaningless because your first 20 are free. Um, And you get so many
2: in a game. I, I I, 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 it definitely take that part Yeah, that's very, very common. I, I slightly disagree in that. In terms of, it's definitely true that you get you get free meters. I think that you can kind of tell that there is a skill to to that. In that, you know, the better fullbacks do. Yeah, you gain can compare fullback meters. to fullback.
1: Yeah yeah. I, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I think, and you can, I think there's and, a different role for number eight. You're just never going to have, you know, ten or fifteen for free.
2: Absolutely, no,
0: Yeah. no, and and if, and if, and if you can for a fullback, for example, you can look at their tackle bus for example. That's yeah. the, yeah. you know, yep. if they if they're running 150 meters a game, but they're not actually breaking any tackles, then they come they bring bought down the first first tackle they meet, are not they? So yeah. you know, there's it's there's, a lot, there's as, a lot to it.
1: as in your owls game that you depicted in your Twitter. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that guy, yes, that guy made no meters on that one.
0: Rugby on the roar. Sam, International Rugby this weekend, uh, kick, kicks off yep. this weekend. Um, England are, are on Australian shores now. They've been in in, uh, in Perth getting ready for the first test for for a week or so now. I'm curious to know what's being said of this England squad of Eddie Jones' now that they've left, because holy moly, there was a fair bit said before they left.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. I, I think from what I can see, People aren't necessarily critical of the of the squad or or, or the players necessarily. Mm. I think um, you know, someone like Charlie Ewell's gets a bit of a <laughs> gets a bit of an ordeal. But but for for everyone else, I think people are basically supportive of the team, but not supportive of A. E. Jones. Um, yeah, right. And, and maybe it's a case of, you know, the the loudest uh, the emptiest vessels make the loudest noise and all that kind of stuff. But certainly on Twitter, um, anytime there's any defense of A. E. Jones, obviously I'm I, well, not obviously, but I am Welsh, so I, I don't necessarily want England to do well at all. But um, <laughs> I, I, I do, I, I do have a lot of time for Jones, and I think that um, he is doing a he is doing a good job, but he is getting a lot of flack And if yeah. they, if, if England don't win this series, I think that could be, well, not. I don't think I don't think England are going to get their give in before the World Cup, but I think that the noise will become deafening. um yeah. if it's not a win. But I think it, it could be, be definitely if it's a fleeing ill wing, but they don't play very interestingly because that seems to be people's kind of second swipe at, at England is that they're not very exciting, um, and so if they wing fleeing ill but they're not very exciting, I don't think the noise is going to die down.
0: Yeah, yeah. The timing is the timing is really interesting, and it was obviously the last time Eddie Jones brought a squad down here. They left three new winners and were were pretty happy with with with, with their lot. Um, what about the? the Australian game what's being said and seen in the Northern hemisphere in the UK there that, that, that is of concern.
2: So I don't think there's a huge amount of, um, focus uh, certainly from the, the kind of the more regular rugby watches about, um, what Australia are playing like, sadly, I mean, you know, it's actually difficult, um, game to watch for, really, up for a
0: minute for a minute there I thought you were going to say no nah, there's nothing that they're worried about <laughs> oh yeah
2: I, I think there's there's definitely stuff that they should be worried about um, yeah. but I think just given how how uh, you know problematic it is to even watch any of the club being in the UK I think that that people it's one of those things where as soon as the game locks up whoever the pundits say in the first 10 minutes is quite good everyone will take that that on board yeah um I think if, certainly from my perspective it's gonna be really interesting to see how those the, the kind of the centre and wing combinations work for Australia because if you look at someone like Jorgen Petaya and Samu Kalevi, um I was looking for some research for this. I was surprised that Kalevi was only 28. He Feels like he's been around for for years. Yeah, you. true, true. Um but that is is one of the the better centre par- par- pairings in international rugby. I think when you look around, you know, you've got individual players like Am in South Africa often seen as probably the best centre in the world but in mm. terms of centre pairings I think the Australian pairing is, is light up there and quite early in, in their careers I mean Karevi obviously mm. kind of reaching his peak but but quite early there and so I think that's going to be a big test because um, you know maybe Marcus Smith hasn't necessarily experienced that mix of power and, and pace um, before yeah. uh, and so I think that's going to be a a really interesting one to, to see how that how that comes about. Obviously, um, you could compare the Ireland and the and the France game, where um, in the Six Nations, where Ireland and France have a similar centre pairing and a similar kind of setup. Um, against Ireland, obviously England had the red cards early on, but yeah. um, held it for whether it was, the, you know, best part of seventy minutes. But they also, um,
1: also won six uh, scrum penalties, which is almost equal to a red card. I mean, yeah. From the gates yeah
2: yeah yeah true. absolutely yeah and i think i think that's going to be the interesting thing is whether that continues um there's a lot of of love for ellis gange at the moment um yeah. and it's going to be interesting to see how that how that uh, english kind of forward unit works because mm. potentially within somewhere within there there's kind of the the um makings of a long-term um say a long-term think though partnership um but at the moment i think england is struggling a little bit to find who the long term yeah. tight head prop is and um, and how that's all going to work together
0: how, how big a loss is is Sinclair is Kyle sinkler going to be for it sort of, it it feels from afar that england losing sinkler is on par with australia losing Tupo, which looks almost certain to be the case for this weekend at the very least
2: yeah i think it's massive i think mostly it's massive because he offers that uh, Ty Furlong, um, modern uh, prop, uh, yeah. kind of, he moves the ball, he does stuff that you don't expect, and he operates as that kind of link between the forwards and the backs just in the, in the, in the loose play. So losing him is massive because if you, it, you know, it might seem like, oh, we well, just don't get a couple of decent passes, but actually every one of those decent passes might lead to a, a line break or might lead to a, mm. a, a, a gain line. Uh, and as you lose them and you replace them with someone who's you know, whoever they're going to pick is going to be much more one-dimensional um, I think it's massive I think it's a huge a huge loss and also slightly highlights the long-term issue that England have got which is they've got Gange kind of tied down there on the loose head um, and obviously they, they'll need some backup there but, but he's pretty much nailed on um, but on the tight head side if, if, uh, if Sinclair's not there I think they they kind of lack a another dynamic threat um, and yeah. they're at risk of the, the rugby world kind of moving away from them and people like Furlong and the French props, whichever ones they pick, just mm. becoming much more dynamic and much more interesting ball carriers and potentially being left behind by that.
0: Yeah, and we're seeing that with Angus Bell um, at the moment at, at Loosehead, and and he's, he's probably got his, I mean, he, I think he almost certainly has got his nose in front of uh, of james slipper going into this first test. Um it's it's fas- it fascinates me that you were talking previously there about Samuel Karevi and Jordan the center combination because they almost certainly will not play together this this mm. this series. Um, P- Pataya will play in the back three and maybe fullback, maybe right wing. Um, it'll be Karevi and, and Len Ikitao who who were, were actually pretty good last year. Where do you see this this series being being won and lost and, and where do you maybe see Australia having a bit of an advantage over England that 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 maybe hasn't been realised up there.
2: So I think what we you know rugby fans have got a very long memory when they see one particular thing. So I think there's still this idea that the Australian scrum is weak, um, yeah, and that that's going to be where England take take advantage. Um,
0: and, yeah. that's, and looking, that's the case because Andrew Sheridan had a good night about 15 years ago.
2: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and that's <laughs> going to be, yeah, that's going to be the thing that uh, for Ireland is going to be this series and the next Six Nations and the next Western Internationals is, mm. oh, mm-hmm. is their scrum going to keep up with it given, given what England gives them? So I think there's a lot of people who are thinking, oh, England just win the scrums uh, and then, uh, you know, it doesn't really matter what Australia do, they're always going to be doing it on the back foot. Whereas I think if, it, it, after about half an hour well, yeah after about half an hour of that first test if England haven't mullered every single Australian scrum I think there's going to be a few English fans thinking oh okay this is it's actually mm. a bit harder than I thought it was going to be um, and so that could really be the uh, being area of concern um, because that is one area where I'm, I'm pretty confident from the stuff I've seen that that England fans think that there's no question that they've got the upper hand Um I think as you well... Think
0: do you think that's the case, though, anymore? Do you think they're going to meet for a show?
2: I, I don't think it's the case. I, I think the, the problem is in, in international rugby and just rugby in general, the scrum is so kind of consistently refereed that mm-hmm. it's not so much a question of which team is actually, you know, objectively better, but it's just which team on the day is presenting the best picture to the referee.
0: I, um, I was waiting for you to say that exact line. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I, I, was, I was like two words ahead of you.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and, and that, that's key. And, and to be honest, there's a skill in that. Like, yeah, um, I, I put that video about young Surfing getting the turnover when uh, I forget who it was now, but the cast winger dropped the ball and Surfing went on it. Um, and the cast winger had fought. well, you know, play stopped and Surfing Tane mm. got the penalty for it. Um, he shouldn't have got the penalty. It was definitely, he was off his, you know, he was on his elbows before mm. he was on the ball and he wasn't <laughs> lifting the ball. But that's, all that stuff is completely immaterial because it's what the left gives you. So what you need to do is you need to play to the left's interpretation. And so I think the team, I would fully expect both teams this week in camp are spending time um, analysing what the left is looking at in scrums and what what he's seen previously and and building um, scrums towards that. Um, And I would fully expect someone like Gange is looking at those those kind of trigger words that that he knows that the left is, is giving before. So... If you see that the ref has given penalties before for for, you know, for for hinging or driving in or or not a full bind or whatever it might be, I'm hundred percent sure that as soon as the first scrum comes back up again after to be reset, Gengs will be saying, "Not the full bind, yeah, or he's yeah, he's hinging," yeah. in. and and that's going to be the 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 game for all three of those tests. I think is is trying to win that that area. I, I don't think that either team is will be confident that they've that they've got the upper hand. But, um, yeah, I certainly think among the fans, the the confidence mm-hmm. level for, for England fans is is probably higher than it should be.
0: Yeah, I think from memory, yeah, that Sam- we've got two New, two new uh-huh. Zealand referees and Andrew Brace from Ireland in between, I think. Sorry, Harry.
1: Yeah, Sam, uh, we had a Franz Mahur, the, the, the Bach tighthead on our pod um, a few weeks ago, and he was talking about how he has conversation with the ref, which he then re- revisits. But it's a very nice one, not a Ellis Ginge, snappy one. More like uh, how am I doing, you know? And he, yeah, he yeah. actually gauges if they even respond at all. Then he he he's kind of okay, and they don't. Then he thinks, oh no, I got to fix something. So it is a game within a game, but it takes a lot of strength and body positioning and discipline and experience to pull it off. But a little bit of psychology. Um, I'm interested in your diagnosis of England. Why are they not scoring tries? They are supposed to have the the crackerjack um, number ten of all. Time they've got Owen Farrell, double playmaker. To me, it looks like they're just running around in circles. With no, you're the tip of the spear. No, I'm the tip of the spear. You're this, you know, who's the spear? Owen Farrell's not an international twelve. I'm sorry, but it's just that's just true. Mm-hmm. And uh, Karevi versus Farrell looks like a mismatch, like Tyson Fury versus Brett McKay. And so you have, you know, it's really not <laughs> fair to Owen Farrell. I just say put the guy in number ten and have Marcus be the understudy one or the other have George Ford, but what is this, you know, that if they didn't have Italy in the six nations, England didn't score any tries. Um, Australia will know how to score tries on hard fields, quick fields. So I just, I wonder about England's ability to score enough in this series.
2: Yeah, I think that's the key. Um, it's, it's weirdly uh, goes in line with the England football team as well, who aren't scoring goals at the moment. And, and that's kind of getting to the national psyche, I think, but um yeah, it, it's bizarre because England scored eight tries in the last Six Nations, which was level with Wales and and only more than, than Italy, obviously, which we'd, we 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 normally expect. Um, but they conceded more tries than than Wales did, um, so they conceded eleven, which is more than Wales, Ireland, France. So it's not really a sustainable um, game plan because we saw um, uh, when Wales won in maybe twenty eighteen, possibly they scored almost no tries, but they conceded almost no tries. And so mm. you can do that for, for the tournament. And if everything slots into place, you can, you can be successful. But this is a, a big concern for, for England because that team should be set up to actually score tries. And there's people saying, oh, well, you know, if, if Anthony Watson comes back from being injured or, um, you know, if something changes a little bit here or if they don't play face jury on the wing... But for me, that's just like moving deck chairs, it doesn't actually get you a bunch more tries. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the the issue they've got is that when they don't have Tuolagi and they don't have someone like Fungapola who can who can punch that hole, what you're left with is this hopeful sideways movement. Um, and ultimately, it, in in no kind of level of decent rugby at the moment, do you want to be in a position where you can um, where you give up the ball? So. You, you, you're going to kick it if you're not moving forwards. Um, and so ultimately, that's what, I think that's what's happening to England is that they're not actually really... A, I, I don't think personally that they're like a kick-first team. I think they're being forced into it by just the inability to actually mm. um, make any progress. And so if you look at something like their tackle breaks and their Six Nations, it was the lowest of any team in there, including Italy. Um, so there's, there's just they're just not making the holes and they're not getting through. Um, and ultimately there's all this talk about oh, it's, it's so unfortunate too like he keeps getting uh, missed due to injury you know it is unfortunate but ultimately at some point you're going to have to come up with a a second plan um, mm. I think that Marcus Smith offers more um, you know I, I was kind of I, I don't quite buy into the, the full level of hype that he's getting but he definitely offers you know something else at, at, at fly half and I think there's an opportunity there for him to be to be aggressive and to, he, to play a bit more what he right. sees.
1: But he did so well at club because he had Danny Kerr and Andre Esther Hazen bracketing him. I'm not giving yeah. the credit mm. to them totally. I'm saying he was part of a system. And then when you say, now you've got Ben Youngs and Owen Farrell, it's, it's like a completely different mm. thing. I just, and I, I don't think he ever really got a fair shot at showing what he can do so far.
2: Yeah, I, I agree. I think that the one thing, as you say, with, with Esther Hazen is that he, he is the Turulagi. Um, yeah. in, in yeah. that, you know, you give him the ball and he gets you two metres over the gain line and then you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're good for the second phase and he's just consistently there. Um, Which is I, exactly
0: I, why Australia brought Caribbean back from Japan. Exactly. Yeah,
2: yeah. 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 It, It's hugely yeah. underrated, that ability to just get through stuff and get over the gain line. Um, I suspect that Farrell will be playing at 12. I, I agree with you that I... I, I actually quite like Farrell, but I agree that I, I, I think in this system... You're trying to replace Tuilagi with some kind of Farrell, maybe Marchant or Slay. I know slay's not there, but you know that that kind of um, mm. that kind of mix. Um, I, I I just don't think it works because it's it's not you're not the placing like with like. Um, so no. either England need to go for the full uh, rebrand and go Smith ball playing twelve quick winger. You know, maybe a Noel, uh, Jack Noel, or, or someone who who on at thirteen who's who's got the pace, right. um, or they need to go. We need to find some big lags to play twelve or thirteen to to do mm-hmm. the two though. all But at the moment, they're trying to play like they have two laggy without having two Um and the lack of you know the, the thing with John Bunn is, I would say that uh, you know that his international rugby star has been. Fine, like it hasn't been as good as everyone thought it was going to be. Um, it hasn't been as bad as some people thought it was going to be. It's been, it's been fine. Um, but he offers a different threat to what Vungapola offers. He's much more of a dynamic, loose uh carrier yeah. rather than Vungapola, who's more of a um, just a, a tight, hard to stop um mm. player. So it will be interesting to see what happens when with Vungapola back. Um, I think if he's not fit. That back, though, it just doesn't really have that big ball carrying threat. And, and actually, one of my one of my key thesis, feces, feces, you know, that's not the word, theses, Feesai. I, thank you. <laughs> is, <laughs> is that you, you don't need England um, to be your big ball carrier, but you need someone in the pack to be your big ball carrier. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I suspect that England are going to lean on Genge probably quite a bit to do some ball carrying. Uh, I'm not sure if we'll see the games in the backfield returning kicks again. Um, <laughs> but I suspect that, that they will be leaning on to, to at least battering to people and, and try and get over the game line. Um, but yeah, for for me, that's that's the English weakness is that they they are trying to play a game, but they haven't got the pieces to play that game.
0: Yeah, it's yeah, fascinating. It's going to be fascinating to see how it all plays out over these these three tests. We we should get you. Um... Your thoughts on New Zealand, Ireland, and, and South Africa, Wales before we before we let you go? It's, um, I mean, it's a wall of rugby this uh, this weekend for us, and there's a couple of cracking tests either side of Australia and England. There, how do you how do you see them playing out?
2: I think it's gonna be, I think they're gonna be really good. I think um, New Zealand Island is is very well poised because mm-hmm. you could certainly make the case that um, you know if you look at the top four. Teams in the world at the moment, you've got South Africa, France, New Zealand, uh, and probably Ireland. I mean, obviously mm. that shifts and changes, but you probably say that was that was it at the moment. And so, Ireland, New Zealand is is huge. Um, I think that it's going to be really tough for for Ireland. Um, you know, they 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 just haven't necessarily shown that they can consistently win in these summer tours, and and you know and mm. really. Going dominate teams, I guess, uh, although certainly the southern hemisphere teams. I think that's going to be the challenge for them because this six nations they came close to it, um, but obviously lost to France and were fairly consistently, you know, behind France. I was saying in terms of just overall performance there. So, in terms of the World Cup next year, I think probably it will be, um, it will be two one to New Zealand with a kind of a. Two hard fought games, and then a kind of a, a relatively straightforward New Zealand wing. Um, but then on the other side, I mean, yeah, you know, if New Zealand don't don't take the series, if they lose the series, then that's it. They're in really serious trouble, as much mm-hmm. trouble as you know New Zealand can be um, uh, right. into next year.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, what what about South Africa Wales? Um, that's obviously got Harry's interest at the moment too. Yeah, I,
2: I don't think we've. I don't think Wales have got a chance. Um, Yeah. But uh, I I think it, I mean, South Africa are just absolutely flying at the moment in terms of, Mm. you know, South African players who have done well in non South African clubs. Uh, There's just so many at the moment who've who've really outperformed. Plus, you know, um, the URC final, which being between two South African teams, you've got, you know, good representation there. Um, You've got, you're going to have a lot of players in that camp who are, coming off wings who um, will take a huge amount of confidence into it. And there's also uh, places up for grabs. And so I think South Africa is one of the squads that is probably hardest to pick for, for next year. There's a few people who didn't make this squad that I would have expected would have. Um, and so I think there's going to be a lot of motivation to, to make sure you get that that ticket to France next year. Um, for, in terms of Wales, I mean, I struggle to get too much... Excitement about this series because it's a long season. It's been a long Welsh season. Um, there's you know certain players coming back. Who I'm excited to see. I know Anks comes been back for a little while, but I'm kind of excited to see how he goes. Um, but I'm uninspired by uh, the direction PIVAC's taking the team at the moment. I, I was I'm very willing to give him time because obviously uh, we did win a Six Nations um, just a, a season ago. So um, he's clearly doing. He's clearly got some idea. He's not a, a kind of complete chancer, but um, it's you know if you, you you watched his scarlet's team and they were exciting and aggressive and and flung the ball around the pitch and it was it was good to watch. And I'm not seeing that with with Wells at the moment, but it it, it does it does worry me.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be, it's gonna be a fascinating series um, across the board. There's there is so many good good games coming up, um, mate. We have spoken for twice as long as I expected that we would. It's been it's been so good to get your insights on so many different things. Thanks so much for finding a bit of time for to, to talk with us this week. It's been it's been great to have your insights.
2: Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for having me and uh, and for letting me just go off on one it's been uh, it's been great
0: <laughs> <laughs> no go go, sure, go off accordingly yeah yeah and look you can check uh, you find Sam on Twitter as I mentioned at Sam L Stands Up and keep an eye out for his uh, his fantastic analysis and things like that uh, with Rugby really World good. Magazine and online as well um, thanks so much mate we will uh, we will touch base again uh, later in the year maybe before the uh, before the spring tours
2: lovely thank you guys speak soon you, Sam. Bye, now. bye
1: The Raw.
0: Harry. Fantastic to have, uh, have Sam Lana on the, on the pod. Um, one of the, one of the Good great man. current analysts getting around and, uh, and great to get his insight. We have got a massive weekend of, uh, of, of test rugby coming up. It starts on Wednesday, in fact, with the the Maori All Blacks playing Ireland in Hamilton, then, And an island will be captained by former chiefs center Bundy in Hamilton, which would be, which would be pretty cool. Uh, the, the, the matches across Saturday and Sunday, depending on where you are, starts with Japan and France. Then we go New Zealand, Ireland, Auckland, uh, Australia, England, in Perth, South Africa, Wales, and Pretoria, and finishes with Argentina, Scotland, in San Salvador. Um, the box side, most of those teams will be named later in the week. Uh, Australia and New Zealand are out Thursday, I think. Um, South Africa have named their team just before we started recording, I think.
1: Yeah, the, the Bucs tend to name the team early. It's a, it's a doctrine that Rossi brought in of like, we don't care what you say, we're going to name our team. Um, <laughs> it's, worked, it's worked pretty well. By this time around, yeah, Villarue actually on the bench. Um, that could just be a signal that in the guard is coming. Uh, Damien Willemsa was arguably what the form player of URC, Like yeah, from the beginning to end. Right. I mean, he was yeah. just really maturing. People forget how young he is. He's like 23, 24 years old. Is um, he really? Yeah, he's, he's played a lot of rugby for that age. Yeah. That's, that's what people have to remember is the South African way. Pollard started when he was 20. Um, and so yeah, you, you, knew they that. Throw, they, they, we throw our guys in really young. And Did Williams to start to when like he
0: was 15?
1: 19. He was 19 years old when he was a boxer, uh, one of the youngest ever. And, and so he's, he's starting at 15. Really good test because you have good kickers on the Welsh team and they'll be tough yeah. and stubborn and hard to break down. Uh, Elton, on my favorite...
0: You couldn't even get through that without laughing.
1: With no <laughs> fly-off cover, so we've got the full Elton show. But, you know, the rest of the back line is, is I'm ready for my Pimpy and Colby to show their stuff against yeah. Steve Welsh. And then the pack is going to be typically gruesome. Uh, I do like Franz about our friend from the pod, starting at tighthead with Ox on the loose head it's a very interesting front row very dynamic Ox, Ox Inche is uh, a guy that aussies will love to see he's a little bit of a mm. tupo type you know
0: in the open field he's got real gas we, so we didn't we'll get see. to see we didn't get to see a lot of him in in super rugby yeah. from memory yeah um, yeah we didn't get to see a lot, a lot of him but you, you might but be yeah, right the, the
1: the rest, the, yeah the rest is kind of the same same you know you have yeah. mostert you have lurd you have eben so it'll be good to see those guys i will say there's one guy off the bench to look for it's low but not Francois Lowe, El Rilo from the Bulls. And he is a super athlete. He is he's yeah, one right. of those guys, like Piers with a rugby brain. He, he might be interesting <laughs> to
0: watch. Uh, I'm old enough to remember that PSB started on the wing. Um, I'll be interested to see what sort of impact Vili LaRue can have off the ball. I mean, I'll is as LaRue. He, he must be in his early 40s now, surely. He's been going a long time.
1: He's building a a dream house in in near Cape Town. So I think he's already got retirement
0: just around the corner. Yeah. yeah. Spiders LaRue, one of my genuinely one of my favorite players. Uh, The Pacific Nations Cup kicks off in Fiji around lunchtime uh, on Saturday. Australia A playing Samoa. uh, Then Fiji hosting Tonga. um, Both those matches at the National Stadium uh, in Suva. Uh, COVID has has struck again in New Zealand. Will Jordan uh, has now joined. Uh, his Crusaders teammates David Harvey and Jack Goodhue, as well as head coach Ian Foster and John Plumtree and Scott McLeod, his assistants. Uh, Rich, Richie Moaunga has a stomach virus and is expected to play off the bench with Bowden Barrett. Looks like he'll start at ten, but again, we'll find that out later. Will we'll Jordan week.
1: can play? No, no one ever comes within three meters of that guy anyway.
0: Have heard that line made before? <laughs> yes, have heard that made before. Mac Hansen has tested positive for COVID um, and is and is isolating for the rest of the island squad as well. So um, it's it's hitting both sides there. Rob Herring picked up a knock in training on Monday. Niall Scannell was added to the squad, and Ian Henderson was getting around uh, at training in a knee brace on Tuesday. So not sure how much uh, impact he'll play in the series on the signing front. Caleb Clark has spurned his NRL interest and re-signed with the Blues and NZ Rugby until 2024. Kai Kaitu has done the same with the Western Force and Rugby Australia till the, for the same amount of time, end of 2024. Falau Fyinga confirmed that he's switching from the Brumbies to the Force, but interestingly, he signed a two-year deal as well. I think the expectation was that he might just go uh, for 2023 and then maybe uh, decide to, to head overseas after the um, after the world cup Uh, as we've mentioned in the chat there with, with Sam before Montpellier beat cast in the top 14 final uh, in Paris on the weekend, 29, 10, Uh, I I caught a bit of this, that the Pumas beat the Grigas 26, 19 Mm -hmm. to claim their first Curry cup title. It was a cracking game. I must say the the bits that I saw. Um, And the last bit of news that I had mate, was that world rugby's independent appeal committee, dismissed Spain's appeal against disqualification from next year's Rugby World Cup in France after they fielded an ineligible player during the Rugby Europe Championship. The committee said that the 10-point deduction applied to the qualification table by the Independent Judicial Committee stands, meaning that Romania, Romania qualify as the second Europe team in the pool B, uh, and then Portugal replace Romania in the final qualification tournament in November this year. So, And I joked up front that you were... A bit downtrodden about this but um you're not particularly surprised at this
1: no so the world rugby's uh, so-called independent appeal committee said that spain when they so called of, i mean it's not independent it's shots fired <laughs> 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 but, but i mean they're all paid for by world rugby and they have a desired outcome and there's no true review there's no jurisprudence to say oh you made a mistake but they have the appearance and the semblance of independence and they do the yeah. job very well so i'll point that out um So Spain threw their play under the bus, Gavin van der Mech, and and the appeals committee said, you should have done that in the trial because you're doing it now and you cannot explain why you didn't throw him under the bus before about the the alteration of the passport. Then we're going to disregard the evidence. So uh, there might have been a real story there, but they didn't play it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And of course, second World Cup in a row that Spain have been knocked out because of eligibility Bad concerns. Look. You'd yeah, think I that checking passports would be something that they get right the second time around. But. <laughs> Who are we to judge? Anyway, that is episode 23 of the Raw Rugby Podcast done. I'm quite sure this will be our longest one yet. Don't forget, Harry and I are both on the socials, and don't forget to drop us a line on the Raw when the new episode page lands. The Thursday two-up format returns this week for the international season, uh, and come the weekend, the site has you covered for live scores and blogs for the first tests of the season uh, in our part of the world as well. The pod is on all the major platforms, so like, follow, subscribe, do whatever you need to do to ensure the new episode drops your notifications as soon as it gets live, and leave us a review. We'll absolutely read them out as, as long as they go, and one day we'll work out how this star system works as well it's the raw rugby podcast with me brett mckay and harry jones every week on the raw.com.au australia's biggest sporting debate and the home of all your favorite international rugby analysis and opinions thanks for listening we'll be back in your ears next week
1: so elton my brother come play with us